Welcome again to Seven Mile Road Church. We're really excited that you are here with us this morning. Um, and especially if you're new with us, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, and we've been in this season, in this past year, preaching through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but as Jess has just read for us, we're actually going to be taking a break for this week and next week as Christmas is upon us and it's just a week away. And so we're going to take two weeks to consider Advent the season of awaiting Christ's arrival to earth. And so it really is our deep hope that in these two weeks, two weeks we would be reminded of God's grace for us and his, his love for us in pursuing us through Christ. And so that's what we're going to spend our time in even this morning. So for many of us, these kinds of uh, holiday seasons make us sentimental and it causes us to reminisce and, and to look back. Right? Growing up for me, holidays was not really a thing that we celebrated. It's not something that was a part of our regular family makeup. Uh, I remember being in, I think it was first or second grade, and it was around Halloween uh, time. And I was pleading with my parents to let me dress up for Halloween because every year they had the annual holiday uh, Halloween parade at school. And so I was pleading with them, please let me dress up this year. And so I don't think the kids were buying that my outfit was plaid and corduroy every year. I, I needed a, a different outfit this year. And so I, I kept pleading and crying, and finally they gave in. And Halloween morning, they come and say, okay. They pulled down a, a mesh white curtain from the, from the windows, poked two holes in it, and said, there you go, Sib, you're a ghost for Halloween this year. And, and that's how I went in, and I paraded with, with pride that year. But it wasn't just Halloween that we didn't celebrate I grew up in a Christian home, but apparently my family didn't get the memo. We didn't even celebrate Christmas, right? Christmas was one of those things that just came and went by year after year, and I, I, I didn't even know it. I thought Silent Night was a horror film. It, it made no difference to me, right? Christmas was completely out of my mind. And so I remember one year, you know, our parents, actually, they really are loving parents. They wanted us to finally enjoy Christmas. So me and my sister were like into our teenage years, all awkward, and we're starting to celebrate Christmas. And so my parents say, all right, we're going to do it this year. And I remember, you know, we were looking around at our neighbors and looking on magazines and television. How do you celebrate this thing called Christmas? Right? What, do you, what do you do? What kind of tree do you get? Uh, what kind of decorations do you buy? What kind of fasteners do you buy to hang the lights on the windows? It was all a mystery to us. And I remember even going through Kmart. It was, it was one of those things that brings back good memories. Walking through the aisles at Kmart and looking at all the decorations, I felt this sense of delight and joy and, and giddiness as, as we began to celebrate Christmas for the first time. And so I think when we think about these kinds of holidays, as they come around year to year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's, it's a wonderful time, but one of the hard realities of Christmas is that our experiences during this kind of a season, right? your experiences, my experience, can vary so much from person to person. It's not always glee and delight for us. Right? Remembering back for us may not be so easy. Even where we are today might be even harder to think about. Right? The real questions of do we have even money to spend on gifts or are we barely scraping by? Is our life and family in a good place or is there brokenness and division and loss and grief and even disappointment? For even us here, this Christmas season can be really good for some of us and really just hard for others of us. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, and yet we feel gloom and, and despair at thinking about this season, right? What possible cheer can Christmas bring to us? 
And since, since Christmas, it happens every year, right? It's no surprise. It's on our calendar. It happens every year. It's even more challenging, I think, to find meaning and to find purpose in familiar themes and words that we hear of. The birth of Christ, we hear of this. We, we literally heard of this last year and the year before that and the year before that, right? So it's, it's hard to consider these things that are familiar and to glean really meaningful purpose and, and thoughts from it. Uh, but despite all of those hurdles that we have to cross today, I want us to turn our attention again to the birth of Christ. And I know that as we do so, we have to push away some tree branches and some s'mores and coffee and, and cookies and tree lights. But as we, as we push back all of those things, our, my hope is that we would really be able to see this morning a wonderful truth. That, that Christmas really can be for us more than a temporal fleeting moment once a year. Because Christmas reminds all of us, wherever we find ourselves in life today, that God is with us. God is with us. It's a simple truth that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, is with us. It's simple, but as we'll see, it is, it is astounding that this has happened. And I think as we begin to assure ourselves of these kinds of promises of God, right, that God is with us, I think at one level, if, if you're a Christian, especially, you hear these kinds of truths and you believe them because it says it in the Bible, right? You, you believe it because, yes, the Bible says it, so I'll believe it. But at another level, I think if we're honest, it's really hard to believe some of these truths in the thick of life, right? It's, it's, it's doctrine, but it's hard to make that doctrine settle into our hearts. For instance, the Bible says things like, all things work together for the good of those who believe in Christ. And we might say, really? All things work together for my good, for my benefit? Every single, some things maybe, but all things? That, that doesn't feel right because my life, I can't imagine that all things work together for my good. And similarly, when we hear this morning that God is with us, it might seem like a nice concept to think about and put in, you know, theological textbooks, but other than a Christmas tagline, it's not very relevant to me. Right? We may believe because the Bible says it, but my hope this morning is that we can actually be honest, that sometimes God does feel distant, so what does it mean that God is with us? And so this morning, whether you identify as a Christian or not, would you join me in, in joining a man even in the scriptures who spoke with Jesus, who told him, listen, Jesus, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? And so today, even as we struggle to believe that God is with us, let's ask him to help us to believe this wonderful truth that he is with us, that he is with you today, this morning. We'll be in the text that Jess read for us in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. You can turn there if you have a Bible with you. Otherwise, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. As you turn there, let me pray for our time this morning. Our Lord, we, we pray that as we read from Matthew, the gospel, that our hearts would be moved to believe in the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. And as it is Christmas season, our prayer is that Christmas wouldn't be reduced and, and become smaller, but that actually it would become enlarged and, and grow bigger in our, in our minds and in our hearts, that the wonderful news of Jesus having come to us in Christ 
would, would astound us and actually provide great comfort for us and encouragement for us. People who don't always have it together, people who struggle to believe even though we believe, people who may not believe and need to believe in this wonderful truth in the midst of our lives and in the midst of our brokenness, even when we think we have it all together. And so for all of us, we need your help to open our hearts and our eyes and our minds. I need your help to speak through me as I speak from your word. And we trust that you're able to do this, O oh Lord. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. So as we consider Matthew 1, 18 to 25, we'll first, we'll spend a good chunk of time working through the text. We'll consider what it has to tell us, and then we'll spend the second half of our time uh, thinking through some thoughts in light of Matthew 1, 18. All right, so Matthew 1, 18 opens up with this woman, Mary, and this man, Joseph, right? And this, this entire story in this section is actually from the perspective of Joseph. So that's the lens through which we're seeing this story. Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed to one another, right? It sounds like a really old word, but it's actually somewhat similar to the word that we use for engagement, when you are engaged to someone, when you have a fiancé, right? But it's actually kind of different as well because in, in first century, to be engaged, to be betrothed was a lot more concrete. It was actually legally binding. To get out of a betrothal was to have a divorce or to, be in, to, to die. That's the only way you were able to get out of this. And so it was a lot more binding than just being engaged. Right? The actual difference between a marriage and a betrothal was that you just have not physically consummated yet. And so that is the difference. That's how close this couple is right, as they pursue marriage, betrothed to one another. And so it's actually a very exciting season, right? The wedding season for these two are here, and they're, they're getting ready with all the preparations. Many of you have experienced that yourself, right? Getting excited for what awaits, getting the cape ready and the, the decorations ready. There's a lot of excitement building up, right? A lot of energy. And in fact, for them, they grew up in this small town. Most likely, they knew they were going to be together for a long time already, and so the neighborhood knows, and everyone's getting excited and geared up for this wedding celebration, right? And as soon as the excitement builds for that day, Joseph receives devastating news. Mary is pregnant, and it's not Joseph's kid. She's pregnant, and they're engaged to one another. It's not his kid. He's already planned the proposal, got the ring. She said, yes, they're engaged, and now this happens. How could she do this? He must be thinking, how can she do this? Right? All of the hopes and dreams that they had to live, a peaceful and quiet life now shattered by this news. It's devastating because it seems like Mary has been unfaithful to Joseph. And that's the scene that we see unpacked here. And surprisingly, Joseph doesn't fume in anger like you would imagine. Because verse 19 says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because listen, in that day, this is actually very different, because in that day, if you committed adultery, you had grounds to kill that person. And so Joseph does the complete opposite, and he spares her. He wants to care for her. And he resolves to divorce her quietly. But that doesn't mean it was easy for him. Can you imagine that night of sleep? Right? Tossing and turning his pillow, soaked with tears, utterly devastated by this news that Mary is pregnant, not with his child. 
But then what happens? Verse 20 says this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, we're, we're used to the story of the, the virgin birth, but for Joseph... Right? This just went from devastating news in hearing about his fiance being pregnant to downright weird, incomprehensible, unthinkable news. Joseph must be sitting there listening to this angel saying, Come again? What did you say about my fiance? She's pregnant with who can. I mean, it's, it's your mind can't get wrapped around what has happened. A miraculous inconceivable supernatural work of God has taken place in the very womb of Mary. Right? How is Joseph supposed to understand this news? How do you explain to him what has happened? Right? Listen, Joseph, your wife is pregnant with a son. The baby's not yours, but don't worry. Holy Spirit conceived her with that baby, right? And you're also going to adopt this son. Then you're going to name him Jesus. And by the way, he's going to be saving the sins of his people. And by the way, he's also God. I mean, the angel drops the mic and flies away. Right? This is an unthinkable news to hear. Right? If he was having a slow day, Joseph just woke up. Right? That's not regular news that you get on a Monday morning. And so even outside of this announcement that Joseph receives, right? For a moment, consider even beyond this incredible circumstance that Mary and Joseph now find themselves in. This scene that we are witnessing here is awe-inspiring and worthy of deep consideration this morning. As one theologian puts it this way, the real difficulty, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us, even here today, does not lie in the Good Friday message of atonement, nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of the Incarnation. That Jesus of Nazareth was God who became man. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Listen, this is what trips up a lot of people in coming to the Christian faith. This fact right here, that God has become man. It's something that you cannot wrap your mind around, that the infinite God, holy and majestic, has contained himself into a child's body and into the womb of a sinful woman. Right? That, that's the doctrine that will trip you up, but it is also the doctrine of the incarnation that if you understand it and believe it to be true, it's actually what makes all the other difficulties that we might have with Jesus really begin to dissolve. Right? What do I mean by that? Think about it. If Jesus is not only man, but God, is it really hard to see that when he walks on water, he's doing that when you realize that he's the one who created the water? Right? Is it really difficult to comprehend that he multiply, multiplies some fish and, and, and bread to feed thousands when you realize he's the one who's created the grains and the fish? 
Is it really hard to comprehend that he heals the blind man to see again when you realize that he's the one who has designed the cornea and the iris and all the nerves composed in it to be able to allow us to see? And even the resurrection of Christ from the grave, it's no longer unthinkable because if Jesus is God, if Jesus has come down and is actually God, he is the author and the giver of life and breath, and even death must be submitted to him. And so in the gospel itself, we see this, this account, we see the gospel show us what it looks like for God to be not just God as, as Christ, the Son of God, but also man. Right? We see this lived out. An example of this, a few months ago we preached in Mark, and we were preaching about a story where the disciples were out at sea with Jesus on a boat. And in this story, there's Jesus, and he's on the back of the boat, and he's completely knocked out, sleeping on a cushion, right? And a a raging storm, a a wind comes and causes a storm to happen in the sea. And these, these disciples, they're panicking, and Jesus is completely knocked out. Imagine that. Jesus, God, is sleeping. He's he's diminished down to the things that we do as humans. God is sleeping. The storm is raging. The disciples come to Jesus. They have to wake him up. Right? And, and you can sort of imagine Jesus wiping, wiping his eyes, yawning and stretching and conveniently just keeps his arms up there while the storm is raging and says, peace, be still. And the sea's calm and he goes back to sleep. Right? This, you have this picture of Jesus was just sleeping as a man. Then he rises and he's God and the, calm, the sea's calm because of his very word. This is the God who has become into the womb of of Mary, Christ Jesus. It is God. So this morning, allow that thought to really sit on your heart, to sit on your mind. So going back to our text in verse 24, this angel has now just pronounced this news to, to Joseph, and now it says that he awakes from this dream where the angel tells him the stunning news of the God who lays in his fiancée's womb. And he's got to be thinking, did I take too much cold medicine last night? I mean, how is this possible? How is this possible? I mean, at one level, it's, it's good news because Mary was not unfaithful to him. So that's, that's a positive. But at another level, what do you do when the person that is going to be coming out of your fiance's womb, the son of God, who, who's going to be saved, what does that mean for your life, Right? You must feel overwhelmed, you must feel debilitated, you must feel humbled at some level, fearful, dreadful, scared. But not just that, if Joseph accepts Jesus as his son, right, if he actually adopts Jesus as his son and moves forward with this thing, who's going to believe that the Holy Spirit conceived of this child? Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they're going to be the laughing stock of their town, And not only that, Jesus is going to be considered an illegitimate child. And that's actually what we see later in the Gospels as Jesus grows up. There's a scene when these religious men come to Jesus, and with a subtle contempt in their voice, they essentially tell Jesus, listen, we know who our father is, but who's your father? And you've got to love Jesus' response. He says, yeah, well, your father is the devil, so yeah, take that. You don't mess with Jesus' father. Right? He's no punk. And so 
We see, though, in the life of Jesus, this reality of his illegitimacy as people might see it is going to be hard. They're going to get stares. There's going to be a question. There's going to be a scandal that exists that they're going to have to confront over and over again. But in all of this, what's amazing is that Joseph stays. Joseph doesn't leave. He doesn't leave Mary and Jesus when he thinks of all the difficulties, all of the questions. And listen, that really is good news for us. He doesn't leave, but instead, when he awakens, what does he do? Verse 24 says that he did exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do, and he made Mary his wife. She gave birth to their son, and Joseph named him Jesus. And there's, there's so much significance in all of that we don't have time to unpack, but Joseph now takes on Jesus as his son. He didn't sleep on it a few nights. He didn't try to make sense of it. He simply obeyed God. And so, because of that, Jesus, the creator of the universe, comes into the world by a virgin birth, adopted by Joseph, and God came near to us as man. Matthew wants us to know, as it says in verse 22, that everything that we've just read, this whole account of Mary and Joseph, points us to this reality, that Jesus is Emmanuel. God himself with us in flesh and blood as one of us. All that we are, listen, all that we are becoming, all that we will become is because this happened. Because he entered into our world, into our lives as God. Why we exist here, why we worship, the reason we celebrate in this season is because of this story. And so what I want us to do for the rest of our time together is to consider for a moment, for a few moments, what it means for us that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. To ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus, our Emmanuel? Because we'd be tempted, as we said in the beginning, for this just to be a theory, a concept that we know to believe in our minds, but doesn't really come down into our real lives. And so I want us to think, who is Jesus, our Emmanuel, who has come to us? Who is Jesus? So that we can grasp and believe that today. So who is Jesus, our Emmanuel? We'll consider just quick, quickly four things about Jesus and we'll be done. First, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This text tells us that Jesus is God. What does it mean that he's God? I mean, it means a lot of things. You couldn't exhaust what it means that he is God. But if even in small ways, we were to consider what does it mean that he is God. You see, in the Old Testament, when, when you see the people of God encounter God, it's, it's, a, it's a terrifying sight, right? You have big, massive encounters with God that are filled with smoke and fire, like hurricane and, and smoke and with a fierce blaze. That's, that's usually the sight that you get when you come before God. Right? Isaiah 6 gives us a vision of this great and immense God of whom angels had to cover their feet. They had to cover their faces. And at the very voice of God, the foundations of the threshold shook and the house was filled with smoke. At the very voice of God. That, imagine this baby is now born. He cries. But there's, there's no shaking. Right? He exists. His voice crying and how is it that he has come in this way? 
This is the God that tells mountain peaks to stop here, right? It's the, it's the God that tells blades of grass to come up from the dirt. It's the God who creates every strand of DNA in our bodies, the one who sustains all the atoms in all the galaxies. It's the God who has existed for eternity in all wisdom and power and beauty. He can never be defeated. And now he's come in the form of a child. This thought itself, friends, should knock us off of our feet. It should drop us to our knees because the great and infinite, holy, majestic God has come to us. This is Emmanuel who is with us and for our lives. Surely when you feel, when you think you are unable and when you are small and when you are weak and helpless, remember this one who has come to you, with you, who is for you, radiant and sovereign and ruler. And if God is with us, then who can be against us? This is who has come to us. Secondly, so Jesus is God. Secondly, this text also tells us that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is our Savior. In fact, the name of Jesus, this text tells us, means that he will save. That, that's what his very name means. And I want to pull us back just to reality for a moment. A few moments ago, Mike prayed for a tragedy that's going on in the world right now. This week, as I was clicking through the news and reading articles about what's happening in Aleppo, I mean, your heart can't but grieve at seeing these tragedies and these sights, right? Parents are losing children. Children are losing parents. People are lost, ravaged by what's going on, and there's brokenness and tragedy, right? You grieve. And year after year, we hear of incidents and tragedies happening all over the world, and our hearts, they grieve. And we even lose loved ones. We experience all of this brokenness. And, and it is true. Jesus has come to earth to save us from all of this brokenness. He has healed people with diseases, and he's delivered those who were oppressed he cares about our real lives. But I want you to notice something. In Matthew, in, in, in Matthew 1, consider this. It tells us that Jesus did not primarily come to save us from our circumstances immediately, but to save us from our sins. How tragic, right? If you think about that for a moment, we see with our eyes the brokenness in this world, in our lives, all around us. How tragic and doomed must the state of our souls be that Jesus has come to save us from that and not first our circumstances, as awful as they are. It's like Jesus comes into the world and he sees you, he sees your broken arm and your bruised knee and he says, I want to heal you of that, I want to restore you of that and I will. But listen, you are in cardiac arrest right now. You can't breathe. And so I need to revive you, and I need to save you from your sins, because that is the thing that is going to kill you. And that's what Jesus has come to do for us. We need our sins to be washed, to be cleansed, to re be removed from us. And who has come to do this for us? God, Christ, our Emmanuel has come, our Savior. If you are sitting here this morning 
swallowed up by your sin, feeling condemned. He removes the darkest stains. He takes away our most shameful sins. Jesus puts all of that sin on himself, as we see later. Goes on a cross, dies for us, attains salvation for us, gives us all of his righteousness and goodness as if we have never sinned. So do you need cleansing today? Do you need to be saved? Hear that Jesus is Savior, Emmanuel, with us. Thirdly, Jesus is faithful. This text tells us that Jesus is faithful. Right? What is faithfulness? How do we understand faithfulness? In our small human categories, it's you telling me you're going to pick me up from the airport at 8 o'clock in the morning and you showing up. And that's, you're being faithful. In a deeper way, it's me committing to my wife that I'm going to be faithful to her until the day that we die. And that's wonderful and it's, it's, it's faithfulness. It's reliability, right? It's trustworthiness. It's making good on your promises. But faithfulness in God's categories are much bigger, are much wider, are much larger. Faithfulness for Jesus is at the birth of Jesus in Matthew 1.23 that we see here. Is going back 700 years to a prophecy in Isaiah that said, A virgin shall conceive Emmanuel, God with us. Faithfulness is reading all the names at the beginning of Matthew 1. You know that long, boring list of names, the genealogy that you see in Matthew 1? Faithfulness is seeing that all of those names, from David all the way down to Jesus, happened because God was pursuing you to save you. Faithfulness is going down to the detail of addressing Joseph as the son of David in verse 20. You notice that? He's addressed as the son of David in verse 20. So you don't miss that Joseph must accept Jesus as his own son so that the line through David continues through to Jesus as the Messiah who will come to save. Faithfulness is going back even further to where the earth and where life began. And sin entered the world as Satan tempts Adam and Eve to sin. And the first picture of the gospel is seen in Genesis 3.15 when God promises that Satan himself will be destroyed through Christ. Faithfulness is that God, before you even breathed your first breath, had set forth a plan of redemption for you in Christ. And in God's categories, that is faithfulness. That has seen from the, before the foundations of the world were laid, has seen you right now in this moment. And if this God is faithful to do all of that for you, he will also provide faithful to all the promises in his word. It means that we can rest with full assurance of every promise that God has given us in his word, always, without a doubt. Even when our minds and our circumstances don't feel like it. The God who says that I will never leave you nor forsake you will see through to prove himself faithful. The God who says I will supply your every need according to, your, to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus will see through to fulfill that promise in your life. The God who says that nothing will be able to separate you from his love, not yourself, not, not death, not life, not sword, not tribulation, nothing in all creation would be able to separate you from his love. He will see through to that promise for you. 
And the God who says, in our brokenness, in our poverty, in our weakness, in our affirmities, in our sin, in our tragedies and loss, the God who says he will wipe away every tear from your eyes so that one day there will be no more mourning or pain will be true to his promise. And that is the God who has come, a God who is faithful to his word, faithful to send Jesus down, faithful to see you through to the end. And so this morning, if you are doubting of God's faithfulness to you, to see you through, to preserve you in this life, to be good to you, to show kindness and, and mercy to you and love for you, would you look that Christ has come down from earth, has spent centuries, has, even before the foundations of the world and you and I were created, has come down to save you. And because of that, you can trust that he is faithful until the end of the age. This is Emmanuel who is with us, God who is faithful. And lastly, this text reminds us that Jesus is present. Right? The simple truth that Jesus is present, not just 2,000 years ago when he was born, but right now he is present with you and I. Uh, Matthew's gospel in Matthew 1 doesn't just open up saying, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ, is, is that what has come it doesn't just open up to remind us that, listen, Jesus has come and he's with us. If you notice, if you flip all the way to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, you'll notice something there as well. The very last verse of Matthew 28, what does it say? Right, having, having lived his life, having completed the work on the cross to attain our salvation and resurrected, what does the last verse of Matthew 28 again remind us of? And behold... I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I hope that as we are in this season of Advent, that we wouldn't lose the sense of, of God's nearness to us in Christ, his, his presence to us as Savior now. We have stories, we have, we have backgrounds, we have loss, we have grief, but listen, our God has not left us. We are not orphaned by God. The God who is, who is faithful has not left us. He is with us. He is with us always to the end of the age. And that is a, a truth, again, that I, I want to believe with my mind. But if I'm honest, Jesus really does not feel so close to me, I'd say even most of the time. Right? If anything, he does feel more distance. And I think it's hard for you and I when we go through seasons that are especially difficult and hard because the only thing that you want, the only thing that you know will give you peace and solace is to know that Jesus who is God, Jesus who is Savior, Jesus who is faithful is with you. Because if he's with you, it's okay. But what happens when he feels not with you? And yet, there are moments in our lives where we especially feel God's nearness. And in this season of Advent, it's a season to remember again that no matter what our minds might think, whatever our feelings might feel, God is with us. And even this past Tuesday, I was especially reminded of this as me and a friend were sitting upstairs in the office recounting even the way in which God converted us and brought us to himself. And we spent some time in prayer. And can I tell you, I think both of us felt 
the nearness of God in a very special way that didn't make him just distant and theoretical and conceptual, but made him feel close and, and with us. It's a God who loved us and cared for us and cared for me where I am in life right now. And as I left that day, the office, my, my heart was freshly reminded again of the simple fact that Christ calls us to commune with him in prayer as a gift, as a gift to show us the nearness that he actually is to us in Christ. Right? It's one thing to experience something from a distance. It's another thing to be with that in person. Right? It's one thing to watch an ocean from a distance, from afar, to watch the oceans break and the, 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 the tide break and hear a silent rumble of, of the water. It's another thing to be in the ocean. Right, to feel the, the water underneath your feet, to, to feel the, the waves crashing against you, and to hear the roar of the ocean. And so Jesus invites us to commune with him, not at a distance, but to come near to him. And so if you find yourself here today feeling distance from God, or him feeling distant from you, would you hear his words that call us to come to him? Right, Hebrews reminds us in this in a couple of ways. It says that Jesus is actually able to sympathize with our weaknesses in life. And that happens when we draw near to his throne of grace. So we might receive mercy and grace in a time of need. That's what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews also tells us that Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. And that uttermost means completely at all times for those who draw near to him. Because he always lives to make intercession for us. Are you anxious this morning? Are you, are you needy? Are you suffering? Are you in a difficult marriage? Are you lonely? Are you hurt? Are you struggling in some way? Draw near to him today. Because he really is here with us. With you in this moment. In your illness, when you go to treatment, he's with you. When you go to work, when, you're, when you come home to, to a not-so-great situation, when you are struggling in your sin, he is with you in your depression and in your fears. And so would you commune with him because Jesus is present. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so this morning, just a week before Christmas, allow your mind and hearts to be moved by that fact that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Listen, we'd be tempted year after year to think that I, Christmas is only for, you know, a, a superficial thing that make giddy people just happy, right? And make us happy because, you know, there's bright lights and, and warmth and fireplaces. But listen, Christmas is not merely superficial news for, for giddy people. It's comforting news for broken people for people like you and I, for needy people like us. That Emmanuel has come is something we must consider often. Christmas is an opportunity to do that because as God became man and entered our humanity, the trajectory of our lives that were headed for ruin have been altered unto eternity because Christ came. It is a tremendous thing. And so I want to close just with one account of a man named John Wesley you may have heard of him. He's the founder of the Methodist Church. While he lay dying on his deathbed in, on March 2nd, 1791, friends gathered around him. Right? 88 years old, lived a full life, 
having exhausted more of the scriptures than you and I ever could, having tasted the sweetness of God, having known doctrine and theology and having preached it, he grasps the, friend, the hands of his friends. He says, farewell, farewell. And with the very last breath that he could muster up, this is what he chooses to say. The best of all, God with us. The best of all, God with us. Friends, this is Christmas. This is what we get to remind one another of. The best of all, that God did not leave us, abandon us, but that God is with us. So we rejoice, and so our gloomy hearts can be cheered up by the gospel of Christ that has come into our world, met us through, God, through Christ. So let's pray.